Bracken and Bell together. There's Cooper breaking through. A chance now. This will be the fourth ball for Aberdeen. Cooper puts it in with his when things are going wrong against you you don't get the breaks of the ball Cooper in with Stewart he didn't really know where the ball was but he got the break and as you say it's a schoolboy's dream being able to take your time knowing that really all you've got to do is crack it into the back of the net Hello and welcome to the latest Here We Go podcast. Given I was at Headingley over the weekend and not Rugby Park, I'm very tempted to just chat about the third test with Martin. Uh, good evening, Martin, by the way. Hi Richard, how are you? <laughs> I'm okay, uh, but we've made our podcasting bed, so let's lie in it, I suppose, by giving you some red-hot AFC chat. Uh, so we will cover Kilmarnock very briefly, but then most of the show is given over... Uh, to the third in our occasional points of view series. And no, we still haven't come up with a better name, sorry. Uh, where we'll fumble around for some sort of coherent answer to your Don's questions. Uh, but to Kilmarnock, I suppose. Uh, that's now two goals in the last eight hours of football. And they came against the championship side. Uh, you saw this one as it happened, Martin. Did we even look like scoring? Not really, no. Um, it wasn't. It wasn't great. Uh, the put the best the best chance of the game. I think that you know one of the things was at the end. One of the things was at the end of the game. Alessio was kind of said that he thought they deserved to they deserved to win the game, which um, he kind of got. You no, know, obviously the lads on Radio Scotland were kind of killing themselves laughing at that. Where, but they did have the best chance in the game. Uh, Chris Chris Burke, I think it was, was you know, was you know, rounded Lewis and just managed to send it wide. Uh, that and while it wasn't a, a, a phenomenal, brilliant chance, that was the best chance of the game. Uh, we we created nothing um, once again, um, just really poor going forward. Obviously, we saw um, McGinn and McGinn and Hedges were on the bench. It was really an attacking three, wasn't it? I mean, you had uh, obviously Bryson starting. Uh, but you had Ojo and Ferguson as well. So that much-vaunted midfield three were kind of starting together for the first time. So it was really just the three out-and-out attacking outlets. James Wilson, who got a start for the, probably the second time this season, again kind of underwhelmed. Sam Cosgrove, obviously. John Gallagher is one of your three attacking outlets. I, I think that's putting you kind of on the back foot to start with, isn't it, a little bit? He's more kind of bundle of energy that you'd want uh, playing a little bit further back, I would say. Within 15 minutes, it was so obvious that Kilmarnock weren't really wanting to, to do, no, do anything in terms of really pushing the game. Uh, uh, what's his Brophy was was up front by himself, and there was it was actually laughable how much space there was between him and the and the midfield. Uh, they you know they were they were they were really breaking, try to try to catch him. They weren't really doing anything else. Um, it was all it was kind of early on. It was counter attacks, and they didn't. They didn't want. To, they seem to want to come out, which is fine. But you know, it's up to us to try and break him down. And when you've got Gallagher being one of your forward players, where you know he's going to be, you know, we've spoken about him. He's going to be busy. He's going to do stuff. Um, it wasn't really. You know, we didn't really give them give them anything to do in any kind of ask them any questions. I mean, you know, some of our better chances came from 
you know, there was a there was a Lewis Ferguson free kick that went past the post, uh, but we didn't really make their keeper sort of work for anything. Do you think McInnes was a little bit surprised by just how deep Kilmarnock were? I completely get it. It's up to us to try and break them down, but do you think he expected you know, the contest to be con- conducted sort of further up the pitch? Because it seemed as if we had a, a lot of territory in that first half without really being able to beat what, what was a very low block. And I wonder if that was the kind of idea about having all three of Ferguson, Ojo and Bryson. Because to me, the, those three you kind of need maybe at Ibrox, at Parkhead and the home, game is, home games against them. But otherwise, I would have hoped for a kind of a more attacking player. You have to you have to assume he expected that. Was I don't know if they thought the worry was that we were going to you know we present quite a lot in a, in attack, you know, despite the fact that we haven't scored in so long. As you rightly say, it's up to us to break them down. You know, the McInnes is there, there's a lot of talented players in our squad. You look at the guys that were there. I was quite disappointed to see Wilson put out put playing out wide. I mean, we knew he was going to be. Um, I suppose you know you're just resigned to that fact. He's not going to change his way, and he's not going to give us two up front. Um, I was so disappointed to see Wilson at wide, and he did. He tried his best. Um, you know, there were some nice touches, nice nice bits here and there, but you no, know, he's not a winger, um, and you know, it was it was he was wasted out there. Another downside was that Scott McKenna obviously went off with a hamstring injury. Again, no indication quite yet as to how long this will be him out for. Um, we do seem to have a, a large number of hamstring injuries so far this season. Now, if there's something we know less than football about, it's um, the condition of the human body. But uh, do you think there's any particular reason for it? You don't know. I mean, no, the only the only worry is that we have no. It's not really a case of having no having McKenna injured. It's a case of we've got three centre halves currently injured. Um, despite there despite there being talk that Taylor might be okay for Saturday. Well, Devon played on Monday. For the reserves, yeah. so I don't know if he's injured. I just don't think. Basically, had one defensive option to go on the bench, and they chose Feyenoord ahead of him on on Saturday. I'm presuming because he offers better cover out wide. Yeah, for the McKenna thing, it's we can if you know if you want to, we can get into the plastic pitch debate. Uh, but I don't think it was really anything to do with the pitch. You know, everybody else seemed to manage fine. No, we're not going to know that. I'm not. A, I'm not an athlete, if so I wouldn't be able to say. <laughs> Uh, bottom line, though, it's four points from nine. I'm sure the hope and belief within the camp, certainly out with the camp, would have been for no less than seven, and hopefully nine by this point. No, we looked at it and said it was a fairly, it was a fairly kind start. A ground like Rugby Park, where we've had really good results in the past, and we've got a, we've got an almost no infallible record down there. To go down there and just and to to not impress at all. I don't, we didn't do anything to win the game, um, and so you're looking at that now. Whereas, like, it's it's concerning. It's not too much at the moment because it is still early stage of the season. But you know, you're looking, you're gonna, you're looking at a quick improvement um, because it can spi- it can get away from you really quickly. That was the the Kilmarnock game anyway. Thankfully, that's out the way. That certainly won't be on the season review DVD. So to try and freshen things up for this week, what we decided to do was put it to you again. As Richard mentioned earlier on, the fantastically name. I'm a big fan of the name Richard. Uh, points of view. Um, so we've taken your questions from t- Twitter. Uh, we'll do our best to to answer them as intelligently and honestly as we can. Um, well, Richard will anyway. So we'll go with the first one. Um, we've kind of we've kind of broken them up into some sections. So the first one is more um, generally about the squad. Uh, it came from the guy, this, this guy's that discussed dandies. So Richard, who do you think will end up being our most influential signing from this summer window, from what you've seen so far? Uh, I know who we need it to be. Um, we need it to be Craig Bryson. We need our marquee. To really rise to the challenge, uh, firstly because we are definitely lacking in certain attributes in that midfield, as we discussed at length last week, and you know we need him to be the player that he was for seven, eight seasons in the championship. 
And we know that he is getting on, but he's still only 32. So, obviously, he's had an injury-hit start to his uh, time here at Aberdeen. But uh, the appearances he's had to date, he has been ghosting in and out of games. It's been, you know, the uh, reference points that I've had so far have been Stephen Hughes because he doesn't quite look with it and he doesn't quite look in shape for the Premier League yet. Hopefully this will come because uh, I think there's a lot resting and he'll be on a good wage. You know, we'll, we'll talk later on as a question about... In fact, we may as well come on to that now. But Andy Innes has asked, is there an argument with a better squad when making this took over than we do now? I mean, I'm going to assume that you don't mean the few games he had at the tail end of season 2012-13 and instead after his first transfer window. And I think he correctly identified that the squad back then needed character just as much as it needed technical ability. And the signing of both Flood and Robson were absolutely critical in that regard. I mean, I think right now the squad, compared to that squad, are some young players that with a higher potential ceiling than anybody in that original squad. And I think that the baseline to get in and around the squad is definitely higher. However, it does seem to me at the moment that we desperately need some of the senior players, experienced players, to really start firing. And that, that to me, is about Craig Bryson. It's also a much stronger league now than it was five, six years ago. So you don't get the luxury of games we can get through it with a 6 out of 10 performance. Even so far this season, we've seen that Samoan were very well organised, as they were at the weekend, obviously as well, against uh, another team that we expect to be right up there. So I think any weaknesses in the squad are going to be exposed far quicker in the current league setup than they were six years ago. I think you make a pretty good point there, actually, Richard. I mean, you look at, you know, I sat and looked at the squad, and like, like you mentioned, I looked at the one, you know, from, not from with the, the five games at the end, um, and you look, at the, you look at the guys he had that played, you know, over... Over 30 games that season Anderson, Hayes, Flood Ryan Jack, Peter Pollitt, McGinn, Reynolds And the keeper, okay, Langfield Which I'm sure you know, people will criticise But you look at those you know, those Seven, eight players that is, a, that, is a, that is a really that's a really strong group of players you know, I think that You look at the squad now There is perhaps a, a reliance on, on some, of, uh, some of the younger players as well um, you know, that, initial, that initial First season squad was real. It was really, really strong. And there's guys like you mentioned, like you no know, Robson, Considine played a lot of games. Michael Hector. Yeah, I think he probably did have a better all-round squad. I mean, but, you know, you've mentioned before, Richard, when he came in, he did. He, he was very, he was very quick at cutting out the, shall we say, it, cutting out the the dead wood. You know, there was guys that you know, we didn't want, didn't particularly want to see at Pitodri, you know. Yeah, but I mean, it's also much easier to improve from a position where you're ninth, tenth, whatever it was the season before, um, and. You know, when we were scoring last-minute winners to to win against Cali Thistle, it put everyone on a high. Whereas now, if we if we needed a last-minute winner to get home win against Cali Thistle, everyone would be booing the team off the pitch. Probably, so clearly, the the standards gone up, our expectations have gone up, and those are good things. But th- there was a core of good, solid, seasoned professionals there, but they didn't all hit their marks straight away. I mean, Johnny Hayes was obviously a huge player later on for Derek McInnes, but that first season under him. It, he, he was versatile, but he he wasn't really holding down a regular place in that team week in, week out. You know, to the point where over the summer, obviously, it was expected, I think, that Greg Wilde would probably take that left wing place. It's not a case of being lucky, per se, but in Robson and Flood, he had two guys that knew what this league were about. Uh, whereas I think Craig Bryson has been out of it for such a long time, it might take him a little while to adapt as well as the the fitness issues. 
and were able to make an immediate difference to that midfield, but you also had this feeling of coming back from rock bottom and maybe just being on and up again. So, you know, the similar sort of results that we maybe had at the start of that season compared to this season were, you know, greeted in an entirely different fashion. Uh, so there wasn't the immediate pressure to perform, the immediate pressure to to compete with an already strong squad that the new signings this summer have had. Yeah, it's a bit of a fudge of who, who will end up the most influential signing because we are only ten games into it. But but I think we need Craig Bryson to be just like we probably needed last summer, uh, Gleason and Forrester to be really big signings as well, and that didn't materialise. Keeping on the squad bent. Spoke already about Scott McKenna podcast, but Alan Lauder asked, was it wrong not to sell McKenna? Things have gone downhill since, there's clearly something not right in the dressing room. Players, uh, he says, have stopped playing for Derek McInnes. Now, we chose not to bring this up last week because I, th- I think it is coincidental, but maybe it's not coincidental. Maybe there, there is something in it that, you know, everything seemed hunky-dory after the Shakura game, after the Hearts game. Then the news comes out about the McKenna transfer request. We can only assume that you know, that assume that you no know, that, he, that he's, he decided that he's he's what to go. I mean, the transfer request has gone in, so he's clearly told the club, "I'd like to leave." Um, the club, I think we can all prob- we would all probably agree, are right to say, "Well, you're not going anywhere until the right the right bid comes in." Um, the rumours were it was three million pounds, as, and as we're led to believe, we turned down more than that from um, I think it was Villa. The club are the club are quite right to quite to stick to their guns and say to him, no, no, Scott, sorry, you're going nowhere. All it takes is, and I'm not saying McKenna is a bad apple. I'm just using the phrase. All it takes is one bad apple, and suddenly things can can be upset. No, I'm sure there are there are little cliques and little divides, as there are with in any working environment and you know with any kind of sports team as well. So there is an argument to say that they you know they could have cashed in, they could have taken him, uh, but you know McKenna's McKenna's a talented footballer. There's no getting away from that, you know. He's he's had Scotland caps. I would wager that, you know, had he not been injured at the weekend, he would have probably still been in the Scotland squad. Things things have been straight strange since. And thing, I, w- I wouldn't quite say they've gone downhill, but there's certainly been there's certainly been you know, a bit of a a bit of a slide. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I'm definitely going to take issue with one part of that question was, which is that he reckons that players have stopped playing for McInnes. I think the the clearest way to to argue against that is to, to say that a bunch of players stopping playing for the manager doesn't score an equaliser in a 92nd minute of a cup tie. They just, you know, they, they don't put that their next in the line like that. They, they don't put that sort of effort in. They, they, they take the defeat if they want to get rid of the manager. Maybe my reluctance to kind of read anything into the time in the McKenna thing was wrong because, you know, we know from other experiences and other football clubs... Famously, I think Morton in the nineties that if just if there's something not quite right in that dressing room, it, it can quickly spin off and uh, go wrong. Nick Baxter has a very simple instruction for us: talk about James Wilson. So, Martin, talk about James Wilson. Uh, James Wilson is no a player that I desperately, desperately think Aberdeen Aberdeen need him to to get back to. I mean, okay, not that he was. Not that he was the second second coming of you know of Lionel Messi when he was at Manchester United, but we need him to get back to uh, showing the level of form and ability that he he did show in those early early games when he's played at Man United when he was scoring goals. 
I'll probably get I'll probably get slated for this, but Derek McInnes is a good football manager. If he's not if he's not able to get the best out of James Wilson, something's wrong with the lad. I mean, you're, he should be playing up front. That's the problem. To me, that's at the crux of it, isn't it? Because I mean, yeah. he there must have been a plan before you're bringing him back on in a permanent deal. And we, I know we've covered this before previous previous shows, but you know, not everyone. Surprising to me, Martin. Not everybody listens every week, which I cannot believe, but apparently <laughs> that happens. Last season, I can just about understand it. Him being maybe fourth or fifth choice on a list of strikers, they managed to get him close to the end of the window. They don't really have a specific plan for him. They're going to start him off as a lone striker because that's how we play. It turns out that doesn't really work. Stan Cosgo starts firing, etc., etc. Turns out you can do a job for us out wide. He surely wasn't brought in as a first choice, you know, wide attacking midfielder. It just it doesn't make sense. That is not his position. So it, it baffles me that you know one of one of the larger wages, no doubt, in the squad is is going on someone who we don't appear to have a clear and obvious plan for. Yeah, and I suppose you're absolutely right. In the same way as we need Craig Brighton to, to fire. James Wilson is now a senior player for us. He's not a promising youngster anymore. He has to do the business and justify his wage a lot more than just sitting on the bench. You know, looks like we're going to offload Stevie May in the next couple of days. That's a big wage that uh, just wasn't doing enough to justify it. I mean, he was he was making a contribution and he was helping us to win games. And James Wilson has made a contribution and helped us to win games. But it's not enough for their place in the squad, I don't think. There's an argument that Derek McInnes didn't know how to use Stevie Mayne. There's definitely an argument that Derek McInnes doesn't know how to use James Wilson. And to bring him back and have him agree to come back is the other thing. You know, he had other options. That's the other part of the equation I don't quite get. Anyway, that that's still a head scratcher. It's got to be said that there's two starts so far this season. He hasn't really uh, justified being stuck with in the starting eleven. Um, but le- another striker is scoring goals. Sadly, not for the first team. But Bruce Anderson, uh, another hat trick midweek for the reserves. We make it ten goals now for the reserves in seven games. So admittedly, there's a huge, huge gap between reserve team football and first team football in the Premiership, especially for a side with pretensions or ambitions at least of winning most weeks. That said, Martin, I'm not sure a loan to a Queen of a South or Dundee to score nine goals in 34 games is going to tell us too much either. Uh, what about this conundrum? Is it going to be another Shankland? Uh, I certainly hope it's not going to be another Shankland. I mean, you, know, you look at Shankland, I think he's found his, found his level. Um, you know, he's, he's knocking them in. Um, in the championship Yeah it was quite telling wasn't it That of all the clubs that were apparently keen on him And all the goals he scored last season It was only he ended up at another championship club You can't, you can't get away from the fact That like, no, he's scoring goals He's performing at that level He, he, he didn't really, he didn't do anything to, to warrant any kind of attention, attention Here he was out on loan a couple of times It didn't work for him Putting Bruce, Bruce Anderson obviously went out on loan before Towards the end of the season I think last season Dunfermline were pretty awful as well weren't they yeah, I think they lost some of the last seven in a row. I mean, obviously, Bruce was playing, so that doesn't reflect too well on him. But up until that point, he'd he'd done okay. I think he had five and nine, I think, from his opening, opening few appearances. So he did okay at that level. But again, you know, the point is, surely if, if we need a guy that's going to start most weeks here, we need to do more than just okay in the championship, don't we? Yeah, you're probably looking at it to be a standout now. I mean... That probably opens up another debate where if if he's playing reserve if he's playing reserve team football 
and he's playing regularly and he's scoring regularly. You know, would would the management team look at the, look at that and say they can get more from him than sending him out to to you know, a Dundee or a Queen of the South or one of that? No, he's he's here all the time. He's training with the, he'll be training you know, with the squad. You know, most of the time, I, I would assume he'll be in and around the first team anyway. Um, despite the fact he's playing reserve team football, so would maybe maybe the management team thinks they'll get more from him by having him playing playing reserve reserve games rather than send him out to a team where, you know, like I said, Dundee United and that sort of league. You know, there's some there's some really tricky tricky places. You know, that that, that you know, not that I'm saying it would break a young player, but um, they're probably wanting to keep him closer. And I desperately hope that we're not going to send him out on loan. I mean, I know obviously there's a possibility that you know, some of the younger lads might you know um, be farmed out to. To maybe the championship or League One clubs, but um, the the problem you've got is you know if if James Wilson can't get a game up front and Stevie May can't get a game up front, you know, and, and even Curtis May can't get a game up front because McInnes has you know has got Cosgrove as his guy and that's it. Um, what chance does, is Bruce Anderson going to have to get to to start games? You know, is he going to is he going to gain anything by not not playing? And then coming on for maybe two three minutes at the end if we're winning two 0 I don't. I mean, I don't see that the, there's any benefit to him in that. Well, I think it depends on how long McInnes remains tied to one up front. And I think if the results continue like this, I think we're going to have to see what we saw last season and um, alter the structure of the side more significantly to get some proper support up top. I think he's going to have to go with two up top again. I think then maybe a window does open up for a second striker but <clears throat> thing is I think Sankosko's not a target man despite his size and his height I think he's getting better outside the box I think Sam Cosgrove is a penalty box striker and he's showing more and more of those attributes and certainly his goal return suggests that he, he can be that I don't see that him and Anderson will necessarily work because <laughs> that's essentially two penalty box strikers playing together. What I do like about Bruce is a little bit like Conor McLennan, what I have seen him he's got this really pleasing knack of just making stuff happen in an attacking sense now that doesn't always mean that they're the best players that do that some players just have that knack and equally some players can, you know, just wander and, you know, meander through games without really influencing the course but still look very pretty for it despite that you know, I, th- I think that's a good attribute to have, especially as a striker. But no, right now, you, I don't see him starting games, Martin. No, not at all. Next point we came in, we're moving, moving on generally to some stuff about the stadium and things like that. Um, next question came from Brian Chalmers. Uh, so, Richard, here's one for you. Uh, will moving to our new training facilities shortly have any impact on performances this season? <laughs> well, it's certainly one less excuse for the manager, isn't it? Um, <laughs> It, it, it's not going to do any harm. Let's put it that way. It's uh, it's going to mean that players have everything on site that they need. You know, if they if they get muscle problems during training, they don't have to go back to the stadium to get it sorted. There'll be physios there. You know, they don't have to waste time in a mini touring around the city in a mini bus going from the stadium to the training pitches in the morning. Uh, all that sort of stuff. None of it is going to be bad news. The training ground is. Whatever your thoughts on the whole stadium Farago, the, the training ground aspect of that, that we have finally entered the 1990s and got our own training ground, is a positive thing. How much of an impact in performance it can have is debatable, but it is. It's certainly one less excuse that Derek McInnes can, can trot out um, for players not improving and players um, 
players not uh, picking up the points that they should do. Um, I think you know where it should definitely show some progress is maybe many years down the line because having that dedicated space and facility for the academy and for the younger players is really where it should come into its own. Yeah, you have to assume there'll be things like, you know, it won't just be a case of, you know, there's, it's, it's pitches and it's nice facilities. No, there'll be things like, you know, probably a state, this kind of state-of-the-art video facilities, things for watching back games and stuff like that. Um, and that's where the younger players are going to get the, surely get the benefit of it. I'll put, this, I'll put this one to you as well, Richard, because I think you, I mean, I, I think I know what your answer is going to be. And I think you absolutely nailed it on the Twitter feed and it, it, it benefits repeating. Uh, this one comes from Andy Moe. Um, thoughts on how the club are handling Kingsford, naming it by, first of all, Mainly, obviously, the the main point that came up from the last week was, of course, naming it Cor- Cormac Park for the training park. Uh, yeah. Um, okay. This this might be a bit of a rant, so bear with me. Um, on on some levels, obviously, the naming the training ground is a, is a total non-issue. I, I, it, it's meaningless. It's nothing. On some levels, and obviously, he who pays the piper usually calls the tune. That happens in every industry and in every walk of life. However, it it, it does make me feel uneasy. Um, firstly, the only Scottish president for this is David Murray, so that's hardly an example you want to be following for so many reasons. But it also strikes at the heart of what a football club should stand for. I mean, is it just a business that will be bought and sold to the highest bidder? Well, of course, in practice, it absolutely is. But, you know, this is a club that makes such play of that to Stefano quote. You know, are we going to have what money can't buy, a soul, a team spirit built in a family tradition? It... <sighs> The club cannot be unaware that attempting to relocate the stadium to a deeply unsuitable site on the very periphery of town is proving divisive. And here was the opportunity for such a cheap and easy PR win by naming the training ground after Teddy Scott. And it really does seem to me symptomatic of the tone-deaf, singular approach to this venture that it's been overlooked. Not only that, but the hastily convened proposal by the club for fans naming the individual training pitches, it, it just serves to, to me to cheapen it further. I know, you know, some fans have really got behind that and that's entirely their prerogative. But, you know, you end up in a situation where Willie Miller gets a training pitch and Dave Cormack gets the whole complex. I, that Dave Cormack has chosen to invest some of his windfall in Aberdeen is, is a positive thing. It's, it's a good thing. Well done on him for that. It's what I'd expect most of us supporters would do in a similar situation. But I suppose I'm of a mind to either not name these things at all, and let's be honest, this rush to name absolutely everything in football is a fairly recent phenomena, or to make it a rule to name things after people that we know would be embarrassed at the fuss if they were still with us. So like Teddy Scott... Or even, I suspect, like Dick Donald as well, to be honest. He was just a man who went about his business, worked for the club, put hours and time and money into the club, not because he was going to get a stand named after him, after him when he died. I, I suppose I just want to address some other stuff on this whilst we're here. Um, I've heard many people say that any museum at a new ground should be named after Teddy. And I suppose for some younger fans who've maybe only seen his name associated with the room at Pataudry, they maybe think he was maybe just the kit man. He was also a collector of a lot of eclectic football shirts and other stuff. But no, um, I mean, Teddy performed so many roles for the club during his long association. You know, I'd be another half hour just naming them all. But his major and enduring contribution to the Dons was, was on the training pitches. 
you know, be it on the blazed surface of the Pataudry car park, or be it at Seaton Park, be it at the barracks, be it on the beach. You know, he was moulding young players, instilling in them what it meant to play for Aberdeen, taking aside the young recruits from Glasgow and telling them to forget their previous allegiances. They played for Aberdeen now. I mean, he was even temporary assistant manager to, to Fergie after Archie Knox went to Dundee. And before Fergie brought Willie Garner back to the club, the European Super Cup, the second of those stars, Teddy Scott is assistant manager that night. You know, whilst any recognition, museum, etc., is obviously well-deserved, the, the training complex would have been ideal, absolutely ideal. So, it, it, as I say, just such a cheap, obvious, easy PR win, just overlooked. Perfect answer. I'm not even going to attempt to add to that, Richard. I'm in 100% agreement with that. Uh, we'll we'll move on to our next next thought. We've got quite we've got quite a few questions about you no know, just Derek McInnes in general. Um, so we'll go. First one comes from Jonathan Main. Uh, first one here. Uh, do you do you still believe that McInnes' contract extension was the right thing for the club to do? Uh, and obviously, they, they extended his contract uh, just the just the end July. There, I, I would say, Richard, that the club obviously see him as a star asset, and Stuart Mullen has spoken about how important uh, Derek McInnes is. To the, for example, the plan and the plan that Kingsford being granted and things like that, and I think that I think that's part of the reason that you said you say kind of single they're they're very single minded with this and that you no, know, it seems to be that they're they're a lot of the a lot of the avenues the club are looking at is is looking straight forward at Kingsford, and I think that Milne, I think probably ex- what to extend the contract early as as a as not necessarily a reward, but as a way as, as a way of you no. Know, Saying to Derek McInnes, know that no, we know you want. You've, you've said you've made the noises about wanting to be here to see this through, um, and I think that that's probably part of the reason why the the extension was awarded so soon, rather than maybe waiting to January. Well, yeah, I think you're right to say the club definitely still see him as an asset in the same way that you'd want your better players tied down. You'd want your manager tied down, especially if you believe that he would still be subject to bids by other clubs. Now, the luster has maybe come off um, over the last couple of years as we've plateaued, but <clears throat> I think you also have to recognise that um, it, it's a question of repaying loyalty as well in some respects. I mean, obviously, Derek McInnes opted to stay at Aberdeen despite approaches from, from both uh, Sunderland and from Ibrox. So I think the board, in some respects, were <clears throat> were more than happy to, to kind of reward that loyalty. Um, we did obviously speak about this when it happened. It, it, it was in one, some respects a little bit surprising, but in other respects totally natural that it would happen because the club would appreciate stability, the club would appreciate a continuation of the trips to Hamden or the finals, hopefully winning something this year though. I'm, I'm sure the club would be delighted at that. The difference he's made since he came in the door, I mean, it can't be... Understated, but I think it is often understated and underplayed by a lot of people. I mean, this club was suffering death by a thousand cuts before he pitched up. I mean, he's put 60% on the average crowd. He's doubled the turnover. And, you know, we of course we get frustrated by a lack of progress. And, you know, he is, I think, hitting a glass ceiling. But that's a glass ceiling that's in place, not necessarily due to his capabilities or the capabilities of some of the other managers in the league, but I think it's a, just a glass ceiling that's in place because of a disparity in finances to to a large part. I'm not saying that those are completely insurmountable or that he has done you know, a, 
a job that doesn't deserve scrutiny over the past couple of seasons in particular. Now, related to Johnny's point about contract extension, whether it was the right thing to do, he, he says, when do you think the tipping point will come with the majority of fans with regard to the manager's position? Particularly this season. It's not start. It's not started well, and we've mentioned we mentioned you know, quite a, quite a few times that you know last season, it, you know the football it wasn't great. It was it was it was a at times it was a real slog last season. Um, despite the fact you know there was obviously you no know, there were there were highlights. There's no getting away from that. You know the wins in Glasgow, you know absolutely absolutely brilliant. You know. If there's not if there's not an improvement, particularly in the football this season, I think that I think that you no know, people will start to people will start to turn on them. Uh, the finals, you know, getting to Hamden is great. There, there is quite rightly a huge a huge section of the support that you know, that for 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 them, you know, especially people of dare I say our age, Richard, um, just getting to finals isn't enough. Um, it's well, about, it's not, you know, no, I, and I get that. I completely understand that. But you know. If, it's a little bit like Andy Murray, isn't it? If, when Andy Murray was getting to finals, he wasn't losing to to guys beneath them in the rankings. He was losing to Djokovic. He was losing to Federer. And in finals, we've generally had that. We've been up against Celtic when in the finals that we've lost. I think there's certainly a case for a lot of his other cup exits, like the two defeats to Motherwell a couple of seasons ago. I think that's much more arguable than losing a cup final to a cup final or a cup semi final to Celtic. As as painful and difficult as those afternoons are, to be perfectly honest, I'm not giving him a free pass. But you know, I'm saying that it, it it's understandable, even if it's ten defeats in a row or whatever it is, it's understandable. Such is the gap in finances. The challenge, and he obviously remains up for the challenge, is to find a way to to get past that. Well, yeah, that's I mean that's fair enough. It's like I think that. Uh, and there, there is a section as section of people as well that because in some of the finals we've we've totally failed to even give Celtic a bloody nose um, in some of them. You know, I know there's the, the Scottish Cup final where you no, know, where you no, know, there was they scored the late late goal. You know, fair enough. But you no, know, I mean, we, we sat we sat in that car home <laughs> car home last season, um, and it was you no. Know, and you quite rightly said to a very similar point that you know what, you know, what do we what do we expect. Um, no, at the very least, I expect us to compete, uh, and and we didn't do that. And I think that's that's why a lot of people have got are, are starting to to come to the point where they're no they're they're kind of you know, not necessarily fed up, but they're no their their time their time and their patience with Derek McInnes is coming to an end. On the flip side, there are there are still a huge amount of people that go to Pitodri, uh, that are absolutely absolutely in love with him and think he's great. And you know, and given what you mentioned earlier, what we've seen before, you know. Um, you know the football under Craig Brown was absolutely atrocious. You know we don't need to talk about Mark McGee again because I, I, I hate that. I absolutely hate that point when pe- when somebody says, "Oh, you no, know, do you want to go back to days of McGee?" Because of course we don't. That would be stupid if it went back to that. Um, nobody wants it to go back to that. But that's not to say that just because it was really really shit then we have to we have to just accept that well right now we'll look we'll look it's better than it was um, you know i think you can always you can always ask for more and as football fans i know let's be honest richard we're always going to ask for more are we yeah and it is it is about expectation that he has built up himself I made the point earlier about how in that first season we were so delighted at scoring late winners against Scally thistle or scraping out a one nil with a backs to the wall performance we didn't care about the actual performance or the excitement of the brand of football. I think the longer, obviously, it goes without a trophy, without tangible reward, then 
obviously you look for something else to to fill that void and yeah excitement and and goals and a, and a, and a sort of less pragmatic style of football would certainly help in that respect but I don't think it would help much I think people are kidding themselves I think the same people that are frustrated over uh, you know the so-called quality of football now would still be getting frustrated about something because ultimately people want to see their football club win trophies and people hate the fact that it's nine trophies in a row now for Celtic and people hate the fact that having been second for a number of years, we're down to third. And I hate these things as well. But I suppose I just approach it with a with a, a touch more realism. I think for me, the, the point for him to be um, losing his job will, will be when we are consistently performing under par. And performing under par doesn't mean, you know, not giving Celtic a bloody nose. It means consistently scoring way less than 70 points in a league each season. It means... Going out of the League Cup or the Scottish Cup to, to lower league teams, probably not just the once, but you know repeatedly as well. It doesn't mean going out to a team seated comfortably above us in Europe either. Um, it doesn't mean match, you know matching us at seeding. It means if we were to go out in the first round, if we'd gone out to Follow Esh, if we'd gone out to to Rops this year, then that would be underperforming. At the moment, I, I don't see that he's underperforming. The means to get there especially if the ultimate destination is not to involve silverware, are going to piss a lot of people off, unquestionably. And as we said before, I think once you make the choice to move into the camp that says, I want the manager to go, you don't move back. It doesn't matter what happens, what transpires. Wins at Ibrox, um, you know, if we were to win trophies, none of that would matter. It would be despite the manager. You, you, people don't move back. So to follow on from that one, Richard, uh, we've got another one from here from Stuart Fisher, which says, um, would the club have extended McInnes' deal if we weren't going through the massive changes off the pitch? Is this simply about stability? Obviously, this this obviously means with the new stadium and things like that. So is it simply about stability, or do the board believe he can take us further? Yes, is the answer. I think that I think the, the extension would have happened with or without the um, intention to move stadium. And I think, once again, we should... Stress that at this point in time, until they can magic fifty million pounds out of the magic money tree, it is an intention. Take us further? No. Well, not that they won't believe he can't, you know, win us more silverware. I think that they would be comfortable with where we're at now, which is third, fourth, qualifying for Europe, getting to finals, getting to semi-finals. Of course, they would like we want us to win trophies as well because they know fine well that if the club is seen to be stagnating, if the club is seen not to be moving forward, people will stop going. That's what happens. I've often used the kind of the whale analogy about a football club and supporters. That, oh, it has to be seen to be moving forward or it, it dies. You see this happen so often in so many situations. I mean, look at other British clubs. You look at the, the grumbles of Pochettino at Spurs because he hasn't won anything. Or you look at the stick that Levine's getting from his own supported hearts. Now, we would say from the outside looking in, that's well overdue. But historically, any time that hearts spend two or three more seasons consecutive in the top flight, that should be that should be bloody street parades in Gorgie. Um, and... <laughs> They finished top six. Hibbs finished top six. It's just, he's shuffling about the deck chairs. I think there's be, he's been pretty consistent and the board welcomes and appreciates that. And it's not pretty consistent in just scraping into a top six 
fashion, a la Calderwood. It's consistency in the, generally speaking, it's consistency in the cups as well. You know, every couple of years we're getting to Hamden, maybe once, maybe twice. Finishing it up our end of the table, six seasons excessive of European football, that all adds to the bottom line. You know, I think conservatively, you probably put about £1.5 million pounds, uh, onto the turnover, even with those three European games we had this year. Um, so it all helps, it all helps. But yeah, the, of course, with them, there's going to come a tipping point just as much as, when it, as there is with the support in general. So related to the board... Martin, there's a question here from Lee Ross. What do you think the board consider a successful season to be? And does this match the fans' expectations? I don't think it, I don't think it does, to be honest. You know, we've kind of mentioned earlier on that I think the, the run about the time that, for example, that he signed a, signed a new deal, I think he said that, you know, Mill used the theme, it's like, you know, something like, it was something along the lines of you know, competing for trophies, keeping pressure at the top of the league, and then a strong run in Europe, um, which... I guess I guess is probably fair is probably fair enough. Um, so I think that the board's probably expectations are a little bit lower. Um, the fans fans expect trophies, um, despite the fact that you know we haven't won the Scottish Cup since 1990. You know, despite the fact that you know you know the, it was you know it was so so long when we finally won the League Cup, uh, we still we still expect to be winning trophies because you know in in, in terms of Scottish football, you no know, Aberdeen are a big club. No, we went no because we went so long without without winning things. That was that was the unacceptable thing. That no, we weren't we weren't competing. No, we were we were getting to finals and we were getting absolutely scudded. Um, you know those 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 two those two times we got those two that season where we got to Hamden twice and got an absolute doing from Celtic. You know some of the finals was were, were embarrassing. Um, but in Scottish football terms, we are a big club. So it, the, the expectation to get to Hamden and to win a trophy. Every few years, I don't think is is too high. In terms of a successful season, the board are wanting us to no, us to, to challenge to challenge at the league for as long as we possibly can. Um, in terms of keeping within touching distance, which which we did when the seasons we finished second. You know, I know it, the points points wise, it got away from us a couple got away from us in the end. Uh, but we did keep you know we kept in touch with Celtic for a, for a fair chunk of those seasons. Um, European wise, they're obviously you know the, the board of the board of some of the managers sort of said you know getting to the group stage is a target. That's not been achieved. We did, we covered that last week. Um, I don't think we really need to be going into that again. I think that you know um, they've they've said that the, the the group stage is a target. You know we're never we've never gotten there um, under Derek McInnes. So uh, that has to be seen as you know, a failure, and fans will judge him on that because if the clubs say where they want to be and then they don't get there, we are obviously going to. Uh, the fans are obviously going to at least match, if not exceed, the expectations. So, I think the board will always be cautious. We will always be. We will overstate it and want to get want more. Um, that's just the nature of how football is. Okay. Um, so, on a completely different tangent, Martin, um, and we did say we'd accept any questions, which was probably our uh, mistake. Um, what's your favourite cheese? That's David Fox. He desperately wants to know that. Um, ooh. I, d- I didn't. I, you know what? I was looking through the questions. I didn't actually see that you'd copied that one down. So um, I didn't think of. I didn't think of a smart arse answer. Um, either gorgonzola or maybe Danish blue. Yeah, this is not. This is not a topic for a smart arse answer. What I will say though is, having mentioned cricket at the outset, when I'm talking about cheese and cheese shops, uh, so our working class credentials are being severely harmed this evening. <laughs> um, uh, but y- you cannot be a strong blue. In my mind. Uh, that said, that said, a good 
friendly cheddar just picked off a supermarket shelf. Some of them could be shit and plastic. Some of them could be just what hits the mark in that particular night. I know. Um, I know this will be incredibly divisive, but um, are we the, getting a cheese room at Kingsford? Is the question. Really. Yeah, but I don't think that. Um, the the Marmite cheeses are really good. I don't. Oh, get them. away! Honestly, Marmite. Uh, anyway. Um, <laughs> Craig Keeson uh, lumped into the others. At least this is football related. What can Scottish football do collectively to stand out from the EPL and European market? Uh, some his suggestions: quota on homegrown players, resist VAR, ban plastic pitches, have our own TV deal, reintroduce booze for fans, naked wrestling, halftime entertainment. That last one's maybe something you could uh, help arrange, yeah. I mean, look, it's 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 2019. Um, you know, gravy boat wrestling or you know, hot oil wrestling, whatever you're called now. Nor gravy Bo- boat wrestling. Fox Foxy boxing. We're not going to we're not going to be allowed that in the modern day. You know, um, you don't know what the gravy boat wrestling is, Richard. I, I, yeah. I'm a way to Google it right now. You, anyway. If you YouTube it, it was it happened once in WWE. It was shit. Um, obviously, okay. it, obviously, it featured ladies, uh, of course. Uh, the serious answer: If we're going to stand out from the EPL and European market. Um, is there, there's possibly a suggestion for, and I know this is a this is not the answer for you know five minutes at the end of the podcast, but perhaps summer football. Um, I don't think that boozing at the game, bringing back drinking at games, is the solution. Um, a lot of people seem to think that that is the thing that will that will cure all the ills. And you know we have, you know, if you can have a pint at the game, people will come flooding back. Uh, it's not going to improve the standard of the football. Um, you know, it's not going to. For example, if I could have had a pint on Saturday, watching Aberdeen versus Kilmarnock, um, that wouldn't. Have, no, it might have dulled the pain of the game, but it's not going. It's not going to improve the spectacle. Um, I do think, you know, there's a combination of lots of many little things, like you know, getting rid of the plastic pitches, perhaps summer football, having yeah, then definitely having a beer at the game. One of the things I think that you know could possibly you know up the the kind of profile of Scottish football is something that we've kind of half mentioned before, which is. We don't. I don't think necessarily the club would you know need Sky and need this the TV deal. I think that we you know I've mentioned before about you know an SPFL or whatever you want to call it SFA SPL network uh, where people you you would subscribe much like Red TV, much like Rangers TV, much like Celtic TV, but you do it better where there's you no know, there's the games are on there. There's you no know, there's content on there. There's you know pre match post match stuff. There's a an archive an archive of stuff. You look at how the NFL do it. Uh, NHL are the same. You know, you, you know, we mentioned naked halftime wrestling there. The WWE Network is ex- is absolutely the blueprint for how Scottish football could do this. I would watch a hell of a lot more Scottish football if if every game was available on some sort of online network. I, I suppose just to maybe di- try and directly answer Craig's question about the comparison with the EPL because. I suppose Scotland is a slightly different situation to a lot of the other smaller European nations and we're kind of almost force-fed a lot of the uh, EPL stuff via our uh, national UK-wide media. I think we just need to really emphasise and wrap up the realness and the the ability to go to games. So um, I think you know one of the things we do need to probably address is uh, walk-up ticket prices. But the problem with that is that it's been shown down the years that, that gates aren't really that elastic against ticket prices. So if you say ticket prices are now thirty quid or whatever they are for a walk up, you take that down to fifteen or twenty. You take that down to fifteen to make the math simple, half it. You're not going to get twice as many people going along going along to the game. Unfortunately, I think we do need to make it an alternative to 
sitting at home streaming the game. So I think when there's the opportunity for new facilities, I think we have to really push the uh, the opportunity to get safe standing in the ground. Um, I think booze is maybe not a fight we're going to win right now, especially as I think fan behaviour has probably taken a step backwards or two over the past couple of years, especially as the hysteria gets wrapped up as we head towards Celtic's inevitable 10 in a row. You know, if this new Aberdeen Stadium comes to fruition, then, you know, we have to do that aspect of it absolutely right. And I don't just mean some token effort in the corner of the stand. I want a home end. I want an end that is safe standing. I want an end that is safe standing that is next to the away supporters. I know that will give the police and the security forces kittens, but that's how you're going to drive the most atmosphere, uh, the most excitement, the most realness for people going to the game and want to encourage them to get away from their laptops or from their Adams lounges at three o'clock on a Saturday where they have the pirated English game. By the way, I'm not saying that the Adams lounge are breaking the law or anything. I, I, I could have meant any pub or any fictional pub. Yeah. So, that is the last question. Hooray, we're done, we're done, we're free, we're free. That only took an hour. Well done, Martin, well done, me. Hooray for everyone, and we only had to speak about that Kilmarnock game for about three minutes. Hooray! That, that was, that was the, the fact that we only mentioned it for about three minutes was the highlight of the game. Okay, it's Ross King Tea this weekend. It's a home game. If we don't pick up full points then, then um, I, I don't think we're quite in cracked club crest on the back of the paper on Monday, but it's, it's certainly not looking good. But we'll be back with a more traditional podcast next week, providing I don't go to another cricket match and lose my mind. Uh, Martin, thank you very much for joining me tonight. No problem. Thanks, Richard. And navigating the choppy waters that was our third points of view. Thank you to everyone who raised questions for us. Um, I think we got to most of them. Some of them were quite similar to one of the ones uh, to some of the ones we already discussed. So if we didn't get to yours, I apologise. But it's because they were shit questions. Anyway, <laughs> no, they weren't. We will, as I said, be back next week. Until then, come on, you Reds.